you look at the text in Psalm 8, you'll see that it begins and ends with the same phrase. It kind of brackets and is the framework for the entire psalm. It reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's how it starts and that's how it ends. This psalm is about the majesty of God's name. His name is what represents all that he is. It's his presence, it's his attributes, it's God. Um, This psalm is about how to live in the light of God's presence and who he is every single day of your life. In other words, God's name should make a big difference in your life. Let me illustrate that this morning. Uh, A number of years ago, just a few actually, an author named Richard Galbraith wrote a book called Cuckoo's Calling, and it was out for a few months, and it had only sold 500 copies. It had done so poorly for this new author's debut that the, uh, the, uh, those who published it were thinking about pulling it off the shelves of the bookstores. And then they decided before they did that, they were going to do one more thing. They were going to publicly release the real name of the author that wrote it because Richard Galbraith was a pseudonym. It really wasn't the true name or the real name of the author. The author who really wrote it was J.K. Rowling, who wrote all the Harry Potter books, millions and millions of copies sold. They released that, and within a very, very short time, they went from selling 500 copies to 500,000 copies. Overnight, really, a number one bestseller. No one was buying it. Everyone was buying it. The power of her name made the difference. See, God's name and his presence and all that he is, if you're a Christian, when you say, oh Lord, our Lord, when you say Yahweh, you are Adonai, you are the king, you are the sovereign one. See, this is who you are. And here's what David, the psalmist says, who God is, his name, should make a difference in who you are. I would propose to you this morning this truth. You cannot truly know who you are until you first know who he is. I think you'll agree with me, it doesn't take much to look around in our culture today to understand that there's nothing more characteristic of the modern life in America than the search for identity. This theme of finding yourself permeates, saturates, dominates bookstores, TV shows. It is constantly on the minds of millions of people. David in Psalm 8 is saying that as a Christian, we view identity differently. Because as believers, our identity is rooted in the creator, he says. Not in the creation, and certainly not in the creatures that God has made. See, in our culture, that is not true for most people. And even, believe it or not, some of God's people Some of God's people in the world at large seek to identify themselves apart from the Creator. And they're finding their joy and their happiness and satisfaction in the creation and in creatures more than God. As a result, and you've heard it, the modern mantra in our our world today is not be who God made you to be. You'll find that within these walls, but very few other places. 
In our culture today, the mantra is this, be who you want to be. Be true to yourself. Just be you. I read a survey this week in preparation. 91% of Americans say that the way that you find out who you really are is to look inward, to look inside of you. Um, That is very, very expressed, very clearly. In a movie in 2017, The Greatest Showman on Earth. I don't know if you saw it or not starring Hugh Jackman, and there's a popular song in that movie, and the title of that song is This Is Me. Listen to the lyrics. Look out, here I come, and I am marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. That's our world today. They're going to be who they want to be, whether you like it or not. There's no apologies for it. In philosophy or sociology, this is called expressive individualism. Self-made self, not God-made self, is what rules the day. Identity, and some of those of you who are my age, you know identity used to be formed and shaped in a person's life by, in previous generations, by your family by the church that you went to, the community that you lived in, shared morals and values, and all of those used to play a part in people's identity, but that's no longer true because what really forms and shapes someone's identity today is themselves and themselves alone. This approach to self-designed identity has made a worldwide, and I'm not dramatizing it or exaggerating, it has made a worldwide impact You can see it in the number one song on YouTube all time. 1.5 billion people have watched it. It's from Disney's movie Frozen. Elsa, if I have it right, sings Let It Go. And she says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right... No wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. See, that's what our world believes today. That's what people without Christ are believing today, that they can call the shots, they design, and they define who they are. Nobody is going to tell them what to do. Identity is no longer a dialogue, it is a monologue. No one has the right to tell you who you are and what you are really all about. You do you, DIY identity. We have a nation of individuals who have drank the Kool-Aid, as it were, of the world's wisdom when it comes to answering this life-changing question, who am I? That is very easily and clearly displayed in a book series, five book series, called Wisdom. Andrew Zuckerman did an interview with some of the most outstanding names or celebrities in our culture in the last generation. And this book is put together, and you open this book up, and there's a two-page spread, the very opening of the book, two pages. It's all illustrated beautifully, and there's only one line that sets the tone for the entire book of the world's wisdom from people like Nelson Mandela, Madeleine Albright, Oprah, Dalai Lama, and many, many others, all their pictures on the front cover. But what the book is all about is really those two pages and the one line 
very boldly printed on it says this, nobody can teach me who I am. That's the world in which we live today. It's a pseudo-wisdom, and one author called it not identity, but lie-identity. And it has spawned things such as transgenderism, as exasperated racism, and relationships have become far more chaotic because we think that we design ourselves. So this morning, as we look at the psalm, how do we really go about knowing who we are then? How do we answer the all-important question, who am I? Again, unless we first understand God's identity, according to David in this psalm, we'll never really understand our own identity. So let's see what David says. Let's put it together. How does God, who he is, connect with who we are? So let's unpack them one at a time. Verses 1 through 4 tell us about who God is. See, who you are in light of who God is, is not so much of a psychological issue, it is mainly a theological issue. It is a knowledge of God and who he is that will be able to explain to us who we are and therefore how we should live. You're going to find this morning that the Bible is completely countercultural to everything that you're going to hear in our culture around us. See, we don't look inward to find ourselves. That's what the Bible says. We don't ask the question to answer, who am I? We don't say, well, I am what I feel. That's not what we as believers say. We don't say, I am what I say I am. That's not what Christians say. Our world does, but that's not where we're at. So we don't look inward in the search to find ourselves. And we don't even, by the way, which a lot of us, if you're you're honest, do, we don't look outward either. We don't answer the question, who I am, by I am what I have. We are not defined by the brand name car we have or the neighborhood we live in or the house that we have or the office that we sit in or the paycheck that we bring home, but many people think that they are. We're not defined by I am what I have and we're not defined by I am how I look. If you look beautiful on the exterior and you are muscular or you are beautiful and all that you have as far as your appearance goes, see, people will say, that's really who I am. But we're not. We are not, I am what I accomplish, the success I have, the achievements I gain, the, the degrees behind my name, how far I went in school or what school I went to. See, those are not things that identify ultimately who we are because we don't look inward to define ourselves. We don't look outward to define ourselves. Here's what David says. And for our world in our day, it's life-changing. We look upward, see, We look to the creator. We say this, I am who God says I am. Who is God? Well, the words are laid out very clearly, aren't they? He's majestic. Isn't that what the psalm says? Read it for yourself. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how mighty is the word, how powerful. And then it says, your glory, your glory has been set above the heavens. God's glory, it's Hebrew, kabod, it means heavy, weighty. It's about God's infinite value and worth. God, you are powerful, you are strong, you are more valuable than anyone or anything. He says, and then he says, out of infants and babes, you ordain strength. See, our God is amazingly wise and powerful and infinitely valuable, 
But listen, he also works in unusual ways because he ordains strength even through little babies and little children. This is actually quoted by Jesus in Matthew 21, 16 in the Gospels when he was riding in on, on Palm Sunday and all the little children who were gathered with their families were welcoming him into the city and they were crying out, Hosanna, salvation to God. And the religious leaders were so upset they told Jesus, tell them to be silent. And he says, have you not read the scripture out of the mouths of infants and babes? God has declared praise. See, God says, this is how I work. I have made people, and even the smallest of them and the weakest of them, they understand their purpose. You know what it is? It is to make much of their creator king. And he says, and I have designed it such that this is to take place, look at the passage, in all the earth. See, this isn't just true of a few people in America. This is an international reality. God has made everything, including human beings, no matter where you are, no matter who it is, they have been made and designed by God to bring him glory, infinite weight. See, it doesn't matter whether God made the heavens in this psalm or he made humans. See, it doesn't matter if it's about babies or black holes in the universe. It doesn't matter if it's about newborns or nebula that we can't even explain exist in space. Here's what God says. You know who I am? Look around and see. I am the God who by my very spoken word made heaven and earth and everything in it, hear me, including you and me. You say, Pastor Walker, that is fantastic. I've already believed in God as the creator before I came. So what does that mean? Well, let me tell you, you know what it means for God to be your creator king? If God is the creator king, here's what it means. We cannot live however we want. If God is our creator king, here's what it means. He owns us. And that our life purpose is to honor and glorify him. Why? He created us. We are not self-designed. We are God-designed. Ready? Have you ever heard of belly button theology? Probably have never heard it. You're going to hear it first here this morning. Next time you're getting ready in the morning, I'm, I'm serious, take a look at your belly button. You know what it is? It is a constant reminder that you are not self-made. See, it is telling us, it's our, way, our body's way of telling us, you are derivative. You didn't make yourself. You didn't design yourself. Every single person, and that's all of us, have belly buttons. And you know what that tells us? You had a father and a mother who brought you into this world. See, you were born, not manufactured. You owe, listen, you owe your very existence, the breath in your lungs and the beat of your heart. You owe it to others, namely God. He designed you. He made you. We are not significant. Our significance in our lives are not exclusively self-derived. And having a belly button is a profound theological truth. And that truth is this. We did not make ourselves. He made us. We are not independent creatures. We are independent creatures, interdependent creatures. So the answer is this. Who am I? Maybe better phrase this way. Whose am I? 
See, what psalmist wants you to know before you know anything about yourself is this. God made you. God owns you. God created you. Just like he did the heavens and the earth, just like he did the sun and the moon stars, he made you. And the Bible goes on to say this about this creator king that although he is transcendent and he is out there and he is all-powerful and he is beyond us and he is not like us, that he wants to be with us. The psalmist can't believe it. He looks at everything God has made and the infinite power and wisdom and all that God has done and all the things he can't even see. Job says that there are things in the heavens and there are things in the earth that nobody will ever know that are there and never see them, only God And it blows his mind that that transcendent, amazing God and who he is thinks about me, David says. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, and then it says that he cares about us. Is that amazing? Does that just blow your mind? All the time, all the time, they're finding new galaxies. And they said, oh, we just found a billion more galaxies. A billion. Each one having billions of stars. It's incredible that that God thinks about you this morning. How majestic is his name in all the earth? Can I tell you, his name is great, but he in turn still knows your name. He knows everything about you. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's up close and he's personal and he knows who you are and what you're going through and all that you're facing. That's who God is. Now, with that in mind, hear me. The second question in verses five through nine is this. Who am I? Verses one through four, who God is. Who is God? Then who am I? Notice, could you... Take your pen, take the time, notice the grammatical correct connection. Who is God? He's the creator king. And notice how he identifies himself. Your name, see it? Your name, your glory, your heavens, your fingers. See, here's what the psalmist says. I want you to see this great God. Look at him. His name is awesome and his glory is infinite. And he made the heavens, your heavens, they're yours. You own them. See, you're the king. You rule them because you made them. And he keeps using the same language when he starts to talk about us. And he repeats it, your fingers, your heavens, you did this. And then he says, you, same God, three times in a row. Ready? You have, you have, you have. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've given him dominion. And you've put all things under his feet. You see what he says? Listen this morning. This is who you are. You are made by God in his image. Can I give you a principle? The more you see and realize the glory and honor of God, the more you'll realize the glory and honor that he has given to us as human beings. Hear me. But the converse is also true. The less that you know about and realize and see the glory and honor of God, the less you will see and realize the glory and honor that he has given to his highest creation, us. See, there are a lot of people out there this morning, and and maybe this is you, and maybe you're listening. Can I tell you, you think that you're junk? 
and that you're not worth anything because people have told you that or you've had problems and you've made sinful choices and you've gone down roads and you've ruined relationships and you may have hurt all kinds of things and therefore you're not worth, can I tell you this? You do not have value just because you are. You have value because you were made in his image. That's where your value comes from. That's where your identity comes. You are not valuable to God because you're beautiful or not, because you're smart or not, because you're athletic or not, because you have degrees or not, because you're rich or not, because you're popular or not, because the guys like you or not. See, that's not the connection that defines you. He says you're valuable because I made you and you're connected to me. And can I tell you this morning that changes everything? Because when you come to grips with this reality that God made me for him to be like him, everything else will fall into place. You were made, verses 6 through 8. Did you see it there? You were made to be his representative. He gave you dominion. He has, listen to this, he has crowned you. Crowned you. He has put a a crown on your head. Adam and Eve were to be the co-regents under God to rule the earth. And that will happen someday. God made you to rule this world. He gave you power and all the animals and all the other creation. And he lists all what that all means. All the animals, everything else is to be under our feet. He made you to rule. But the sad thing about it is because of our sin, we can't even rule ourselves. See, the truth is this, and you don't see it, and you would never perhaps think it when you look in the mirror. I know I don't. Your royalty. See, he gave you a crown. Why? Because he's the creator king. And he put a crown on your head and says, I've got a purpose for your life. And it's not wrapped up in all the things that you think it is. It's living out my life that I designed for you here on this earth. But a lot of people, even God's people, in the royal family, they don't really want it. That's taking place in reality in a physical way in England. You know, watch Lady Diana before she died. Harry and Meghan now. See, they're in the royal family. They were born into it, but they don't want it. Well, they like all the things that go with it, all the money and the prestige and everything else. But they don't want to live in the palace, and they don't really want to do what the queen and everybody else would ask them to do. They like to have all the benefits of being royal, but here's what they want. They want to have their own identity and make it. They don't want anyone in the royal palace telling them who they are and what that means. See, they're really in the royal family, but they're rebellious to it. It's caused huge rifts and problems. But it's not just in England at Buckingham Palace that this takes place. That's true of some of God's people in his house. See, we want to know God and all the benefits of it, but we want to basically design our own identity because we want to call the shots. We want to pretend that we're someone that we're really not and live differently. Question, ready? Trivia. In the Wizard of Oz, what was the wizard's real name? You don't know? Not surprising. I don't think anybody knows. No, they do. You can look up on the internet... Wizard of Oz, O-Z, his name was Oscar Zaraster. Ready? 
So if you didn't learn anything else, you can get home, take that home with you. But watch the movie. He had a projected identity of who he was. See, he really was somebody else. But when he came to the Emerald City, here's what he thought he had to do. He had to change his identity because he wouldn't make it there if he was normally who he was. So he changed, and he became, took his initials and said, I'm the Wizard of Oz and the fly. <laughs> and so what you find him as, as Dorothy and all the people come in, and what happens? He's behind the curtain, but they don't know that. He's projected terrible Oz, great and powerful, blah, blah, blah on the screen. And everybody, the fire goes up, and everybody's cowering before him. But is he really someone to cower in front of? No. He's just an older man behind the curtain. Here's what he's doing when the curtain comes back. You know, they pull the levers, and he's shouting into the sound system. And he's really pretending and deceiving others and deceiving himself about who he really is. Is that you today? Be honest. Living behind a false identity curtain. And every day when you get up, here's what you have to do. You have to keep pulling levers to convince people, oh, yes, yes, I'm this. Let me show you. And the new outfit I have. And, you know, look at the car. And you know what? I have this going on. And I'm dating so-and-so now. And I got this going for me. And we keep pulling the levers and pulling the levers behind the curtain so that we can project the image that we want people to see and think that we are. And our life is filled with that, deceiving others and actually deceiving ourselves. But see, the Bible says in Psalm 8, you were made a little lower than the heavenly beings. It's the same word for angels or God, little g. In other words, God said, I made you with such honor. You don't have to spend your whole life behind the curtain projecting and pulling the levers. You don't have to speak into the sound system and, the, and shout louder and louder, louder so people will think that that's who you really are. You are royalty if you know me. You are made in my image, and you need to live out that reality. See, sin, if I could say it to you in this context, is not just you breaking God's rules. Sin is you not living according to who he made you to be and recreated you when he saved you in his image. This is so bad in our culture and in the lives of some of God's people. It's so bad that this is why Jesus had to come. He didn't just have to come. He had to become. He had to become a human. Why? Because our sin ruined humanity. It's ruined your humanity and mine. The first Adam has driven us away from God, and we have forgotten and lost the ability to be and live how we were made to. But Jesus came, and he is the true human. And that's why the psalmist says, and what is the Son of Man? One of Jesus' favorite phrases and titles for himself. What is the Son of Man? See, here's what Jesus did. Read it for yourself. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, quotes the end of Psalm 8, and it specifically applies it to Jesus. You know what had to happen 
Do you know what had to happen so that you could figure out your identity, to really find out who you are, to really live in the royal family and to live out what you were made to do, to give you that ability? You know what it took? Jesus had to come and make himself a little lower than the angels. Here is God, the creator king, way beyond the heavens, way beyond the angels, way beyond anything he ever made. And you know what he had to do to save us and to change our identity? He had to come and make himself a little lower than the angels. And he had to take all of our sin upon himself because the Hebrew says in chapter 2, that he tasted death for everyone. See, he will have all things put under his feet, but the writer of Hebrews says this, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. But in the meantime, Jesus came, and he came a little lower than the angels, and he tasted death for everyone. Why? Why did that have to happen? Because our connection was to result in a reflection. And when we lost the connection, we also lost the ability to reflect it. That's what it means to fall short of the glory of God. We don't radiate his glory anymore until we get saved. Until we realize this is who God is, and as a result, this is who I am. He came down and became a little less that you could be so much more. See, his, he became like us so that one day that we could become like him. He and his perfect life and his perfect death is what has given God the ability to put the crown on Jesus and someday the crown that he will give to each one of us. It cost him everything to give you a new name. It cost him everything to spread the reality of who he is so that you could find out who you are. And I would challenge you this morning, take a deep and long look at yourself. Are you pulling levers? Are you? Are you shouting into a system every day at your job and your home, your friends? Oh, I'm cool. Let me show you. Let me say it louder because if I have to say it louder, maybe you'll hear it. Are you trying to show people what you can do and what you are? Is your identity in the creature and the creation? Or is it in the creator? Ask yourself, who tells me who I am? Is it what's on the internet or TikTok or some social media? Or does Jesus tell me who I am? Because I can tell you this, he died so that he could give you his identity and bring you into his royal family so that you could say, O oh Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth and in me. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in just a few minutes we're going to Say goodbye to the Rutherfords at the close of our service. But before we do that, perhaps God, through his word and spirit this morning, has 
been speaking to you, and you'd say, Pastor Walker, I can do this, and I can do that. I'm smart. I have a degree. I can play ball like you can't believe. I can make money. I'm, and you can say, I, I can do all of those things. But how is it that I still don't know who I am? Pastor Walker, I need to find my identity in Jesus. I've been finding it by looking inward. I've been looking outward. But I haven't been looking upward. In my life, it's, it's, it's ruined. It's a wreck. It's chaotic. Because I don't really know who I am. But you can this morning. Jesus tasted death and rose again from the grave. His death on the cross is the payment for the penalty of your sin. See, say this to him, Jesus, I don't know who I am, but I'm beginning to know who you are. And I want who you are to define who I am and all that goes with it. So I can say, you are my Lord. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Is he your Lord? If not, he can be today if you put your faith and trust in him and who he is and what he's done for you on the cross. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor Walker, that's me. That's me. I need to come to Jesus as my Savior and Lord, to find my identity in him. I need to put my faith and trust in him. They died and rose again for my sins. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor Walker. I need that identity in Christ. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? I need to know who I am because of who he is. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around still. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You put your faith and trust in Christ. But the Spirit of God's been working your heart this morning. You say, Pastor Walker, I, I'm not living out who I am. I'm, I, I want a different identity and I've been trying to find it. I want people to see me and think of me this way. And I would have to tell you that my identity is more designed by my friends and by culture and by this world and by boyfriend and my job way more than God. And it needs to change. It really needs to change. In my, I need to repent because I can't do it on my own. I need to turn to Jesus and say, I want to live out who you have made me and remade me in Christ to be. I want to live and find my joy and identity in the creator king, not in his creation in any way, shape, or form. I need that revolution in my life. As a Christian, please pray for me. Would you just do that with no one looking? Just raise your hand, and I'll pray for you in a moment also as we close. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, your word has been clear to know you is to know who we are. But if we don't know you, 
we'll never know who we really are. And there are people this morning who are in that situation, and they've raised their hand, and they've indicated that they need to know you. Father, I pray before this day is out, even at the end of the service, they would seek me or someone and say, please show me how I can know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Please show me how I can know who I am and who he is. I also pray for the saints of God this morning who also, many raise their hands. They know who you are and they know about who they ought to be because of that, but it's not what functions. They don't, you're not their functional identity. And it's causing so many problems. I pray they wouldn't just change to make their life better. They would change because you are the creator king. And you are worthy of all of our praise and our honor and our glory. Father, our glory in verse 5 comes from your glory in verse 2. We're connected. I pray that they would make and renew that connection afresh and anew this morning. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.